Northern New York Community Podcast, stories from the heart of our community. We are back with another edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. I'm your host, Max Del Signor. You've made a great choice in listening to this upcoming conversation we have with Nancy Del Borgo. A North Country native, Nancy's life has threaded through many forums, local and global. From healthcare to the arts, she's played a vital role in every institution and organization she's been involved with. We'll explore Nancy's childhood and her early career aspirations. She will share her love for music and the time of meeting her husband, Elliot. And we'll also reflect on the meaning of philanthropy and how has it impacted her and her family. Nancy, I'm glad that we have you on the podcast. Thanks I'm for coming on. I'm happy to be here, Mark Max. Thanks very much. Let's start at the beginning with your parents, your mom and dad. Your father was a doctor, Dr. Lawrence Withington. Your mother, Alice, was a science teacher. Both of them well-respected and well-known in this community. What do you remember most about your parents as a child? Things I heard about them from other people. Uh, dad's patients, uh, my mother's friends among the teaching community. We, we seem to have two really close sets of friends, those in medicine and those in education. I, I remember the stories from relatives, even a professor of chemistry at Potsdam, who said that during a certain period of time, if you were a kid in Watertown and you learned to swim, either my father or my mother taught you how to swim up at the Thompson Park pool. So that's where the romance started. <laughs> it was at the pool, huh? Yes, it was at the pool. What were your career interests in high school? As you said, your, your father was certainly a doctor, a very well-known physician here, mom being an educator. Uh, but as you were growing up and as you entered high school, what were you thinking of pursuing? Oh, very definitely medicine. But in those days, it was a little unusual for a gal to go into medicine and to make a go of it. I liked music as well. So I decided to go the music route. I haven't regretted that. Uh, I, I love music and it, it has provided a wonderful professional life uh, for my husband and me, and I'm still running our little company. But medicine is my real love, and I did get back into it briefly when we moved to Cape Vincent because there was a picture of the ambulance that appeared in the Th Thousand Island Sun, and it said that unless we got more volunteers, that would be the last ambulance they'd ever see. So I talked it over with Elliot and I said, yeah, I think I could do that. So I volunteered to go to EMT school and uh, wound up putting in nine years uh, until we pulled up stakes and moved to Florida for the winters. And that's when I had to step down. But it was a wonderful experience and it was a way of giving back to the community that I had never anticipated. Four years after I started, Elliot decided, well, I work at home. Um, I could drive the ambulance. So he volunteered to drive. And uh, for one year, we were pretty much it. That was a tough year. Uh, but he often told me that it was the most satisfying thing he'd ever done in his life. Why is that? Because he felt as though he was really, really helping people. And it's an indescribable feeling when you have someone actually die in your arms, as he did. And it's also a wonderful feeling when you can say that this is a volunteer service and you're not going to be billed. I think that's kind of a tenuous situation right now. But back when we were doing it, 
that's the way it was. And we were the ones that showed up at 2.30 in the morning. I don't think other than a few people in our village really knew what he did for a living. Uh, he was the ambulance driver, as far as they were concerned, mm. who would show up, among others, of course. And the ambulance um, the squad still exists. In fact, I have to go to a meeting tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some of that education and knowledge of medicine, um, what you learned from your father, really carried over pretty well when you were a volunteer for the EMT. It, it did, and I wish I could do it now. I've been asked, but I'm a little long of tooth, I think. I would have to start all over again, and now I've moved on to other interests. Um, I'm a senior warden at St. John's Episcopal Church in Cape Vincent, and I really enjoy doing that. I have another year in that term, and that's a full-time full volunteer job. We're searching for a priest right now. That adds to the burden, and so I don't want to take on anything else, <laughs> but uh, health and church are the two that I'm most interested in, and that's where I put my, my time, talent, and treasure. Some of that talent really began um, as a child when you were able to go on house calls with your dad. <laughs> yeah. I know you shared a few stories off the record about that, but could you share as part of this conversation just some of those memories on going some of those visits with your father? I, I used to love to go uh, on, on house calls with dad. He would do some in the morning before rounds at the hospitals. There were two then. And then he'd go into the office for afternoon office hours and then he'd do more house calls before dinner. And then if he hadn't finished, he'd go out after dinner. And I loved the after dinner part. I saw a lot of kitchen table surgery. He had to carry everything that he thought he might need, even then. As a general practitioner, he did a lot of, he did a little surgery. He did a lot of things that internists now don't do. It's not necessary, but the people were so wonderful. I love the North Country. I love the people who live here. Uh, my family's been here for many generations and it's home. I don't feel that comfortable anywhere else and I've been some beautiful places but very very fortunate to have been some beautiful places but this is home. So you pursued a career path in music and you mentioned that love for music as you, mm -hmm. as you were in high school. What inspired that affinity and love for the arts? A couple of teachers I had, I suppose. I studied piano uh, with the Sisters of St. Joseph for 12 years, and I was in the band, and there was no orchestra at Watertown High School. I did sing in the chorus my senior year. Charlie Burmaster said I, on my application to college that I had a small, average voice. He was absolutely right about that. I think he was being very generous, frankly. But they let me in anyway, so uh, I did go to uh, first Manhattanville College down near New York, and then I transferred up to Crane and finished out up there and taught for three years following my master's degree and then uh, got married and had a family and just stayed. Can you talk a little bit about meeting Elliot too? Because around that time is when you, you first met. What was that? I, like. I had transferred to Crane in February of 1965. He was um, asked to come in to fill in for a trumpet teacher who had gone on sabbatical 
in the spring of 1966. And at the first meeting of Crane Chorus and Orchestra of, this, of the semester, they introduced the new faculty. And uh, Dr. Hosmer introduced Elliot Del Borgo, and so I turned around to see who he was, and he stood up. And I wound up in his band, sitting next to last chair, because I was undergoing a change in embouchure, everything. So um, I sat next to a piano major, which is very humbling as a clarinet major to sit next to a piano major in a band. <laughs> but that's, that's about the quality of my playing. I remember being impressed in rehearsal when he started Elsa's processional to the cathedral, Wagner, 34 times in one rehearsal. And I kept thinking every time he'd start, stop us and start us again, I'd say, we can't do this any better. This is it. This is all we can do. Well, he'd stop and start again. And darned if we didn't do it better. At the end of that, I thought, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. And that was my introduction to Professor Maestro Elliot Del Borgo. <laughs> Well, as you mentioned before about being volunteers as EMTs in Cape Vincent, not many folks knew what an accomplished musician and composer he was. They still don't. No. <laughs> Tell no. me just a little bit about you know Elliot's Pro accomplishments. Profit without honor and all you know and all of that. <laughs> when we first moved to Cape Vincent in September of 1994, people there were very nice and they invited us to. No cocktail parties, just to get to meet us. And I went to the first three or four of them alone. Well, uh, that started the gossip going because, well, is she married? Is he really <laughs> somebody? Where is he? And I know that's what they were talking about, but he was on the road. It just happened that way. He did a great deal of, of work outside of the North Country. His forte was uh, educational music that he wrote for use in schools uh, at all levels. And what he did, I think, that was not only unusual, I think it, it may have been unique in that he was able to write the kind of music that the kids could handle and yet still sound good so that the audience would enjoy listening to it because it was played well, it was written well, and scored well, so that the, the balance was right, and the kids weren't scared. It wasn't beyond their ability to play. A lot of directors, music directors, a lot of them succumb to the temptation to play music which is a little bit beyond what they know the kids can do. And the reason for that is there's a certain cachet in playing level 4.5 or 5 or, <laughs> Lord help us, in high school, a 6. Um, and sometimes they attempt that and the results are not good. They would, they would do much better to play easier music that is well-written and the kids can play. They can still come home with a trophy. You both were steeped in that music education for many years and worked with students. Mm -hmm. um, how fulfilling was it to help build so many aspiring musicians, even if they were high school students, just in the band? Well, for him, it was everything. 
It was his life. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got a call last night from one of his former students who ultimately went to um, Curtis Institute in, in uh, Philadelphia, which is the place to go in the United States if you want to perform. Uh, they, they give certificates and they let you out when they say you're ready to graduate. And Mitch is now retired from uh, teaching in California and he called last night just to chat. He was a kid who describes himself as, as just kind of kicking around and he was in Elliott's uh, junior high band in Philadelphia and he looked at the look on Elliott's face in his eyes when he was conducting and he said, wow, he said, this fellow really is, he's in another world when he's doing this. this. This is his passion. There must be something to this music thing. So he started practicing 14 hours a day and wound up at Curtis and then took jobs with symphonies in uh, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore uh, and then came back to the States to teach. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a couple of quick fire questions. You ready? Sure. Promise they're easy. I have three easy answers. Okay, let's, let's do this. What is your favorite piece that Elliot composed? Well, I have to say, you asked me this one before, and I <laughs> should have the answer on the tip of my tongue. I'll say Irish Rhapsody. Okay. And the reason I say Irish Rhapsody is that uh, I am part Irish, not as much as I thought I was, but I am part Irish. <laughs> and it's a band piece that was built on three Irish tunes. Please don't ask me to name them. <laughs> um, but they're well known. And it has a different feel to it than the usual Del Borgo music, which is very heavy on percussion, very heavy on brass, and generally has a fugue some hidden, some well not hidden, but it's in there somewhere. Uh, that's the Del Borgo stamp. And this is totally different. It's very lush, it's very romantic, capital R, and it's a treatment of, of the uh, folk tunes that just speaks to me. And I think it sells well, so I think it must speak to audiences as, as well. That, that'll be my favorite. Which of his works do you listen to the most today? The last one that was published. It's got one coming out right now that's, that's an arrangement of a tune by Mosey Lister called Goodbye World Goodbye. And it's an up-tempo toe-tapper that he arranged. I found the score in the cellar uh, among his music. And um, that has just been published by MSB uh, Publishing in uh, Pennsylvania. Now you've traveled the world, you've seen many performances. If you could pick your favorite venue for a performance, where would it be? I think uh, either Lincoln Center or, um, well, strangely enough, Hosmer Concert Hall hmm. up at Potsdam. Beautiful hall. The acoustics are excellent there. Wasn't ready for that one. No, that was that was uh, different than what we talked about before. Do if you? I could remember where we were in Washington when he <laughs> did the uh, he did a, a commemoration overture for the 50th anniversary of the Navy Band, hmm. and 
we flew down for it. I talked him into it because uh, my family are mostly Navy people. And um, I thought, oh, I, I really want to hear this. Plus, I, had, I used to proofread all his music. Mm -hmm. So I had proofread this piece and kind of got invested in it a little bit. So uh, we got invited to go, and we did. And it was, I, I just remembered where it was, it was at the Kennedy Center. And our, we were sitting down in the uh, orchestra section, main section, and I remember looking up along the sides and seeing when they stood up at the end to applaud, all these uniforms <laughs> with lots of, you know. Um, I was very impressed. That was, that was great fun. Do you enjoy any of today's genre of, of music? And if so, who are you listening to? Well, I can turn that back at you and say define today's genre, but I think I know what you're talking about, so I won't put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I don't enjoy. What I enjoy that is popular right now is uh, bluegrass. I like bluegrass. Uh, bluegrass is genuine folk music of the United States. It and jazz are really the only two music genres that are truly American, unless you get to Native American music, which also is very interesting because it has a lot of percussion in it. But much of what is played today is not what I would call music. It's not well written. Uh, it requires no skill and it has no really good message. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry to have to say that. No. <laughs> I guess I'm a music snob. No, it's an honest perspective <laughs> based on what you hear. Well. Now, and, and you've been really instrumental in carrying on Elliot's music. You yeah. passed away four years ago. Mm -hmm. But you, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you still are able to share some of his music, either for folks looking to buy an accompaniment or whatever the case may be. Can you talk a little bit about the business? That is really a sidelight right now. I do it, I do it as I can, but I did get into some of his music that was uh, stored in Cape Vincent. I uh, found that there were some scores that had not seen the light of day anywhere. And I thought, well, uh, this is something I can do. I can see that his music uh, lives on and I will get all of these pieces out in front of the public one way or another. So I started the project four years ago. It was a project that we had already been working on together, but now I had to take it over myself and decide which ones had been published, and this was just the, the pencil score, and which ones had never gone to a publisher at all. Once I sorted through that, then I started sending them around, and you have to decide who publishes what kind you don't go to a, an ensemble or um, chamber music publisher with a band piece, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I have one now that is ready to go to a band publisher, and it was the um, score for the closing ceremonies, just, just the closing ceremonies of the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. It's for chorus and orchestra. There isn't a lot of market for that, but it's a beautiful piece. And as you can still hear it on YouTube, uh, some of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to send that probably to, uh, uh, well, some of the larger publishers that I know of that he's worked with. He had several that he worked with. 
that's an ongoing project. Uh, the, the trick was to, the hurdle that I had to get over personally was to get it from the pencil score into an electronic format because that's what everybody wants now. Mm -hmm. And that requires knowledge of uh, the language such as finale, which is what Elliot worked in. Mm -hmm. uh, and the three manuals for that are about like this, each <laughs> one of them. No way, I have other things to do in life. <laughs> so I uh, found a student through a, a, music of, a business of music class in Potsdam where a friend of mine taught that class and she used to have me come up, uh, she's now retired, but she used to have me come up once a semester and talk to her class about what I do. And as it happened, I managed to get some interns out of those classes who knew how to do what I needed to have done. Perfect. Perfect, because that was the one thing that I wasn't willing to attempt. And so I hired them as interns, and I had to do reports on them, how their work ethic was and all that stuff. That was kind of fun. Continuing the education. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're at a hiatus right now because uh, it's the summertime and they're all, they're all home. But uh, I'm getting the works in electronic form so I can send them out. And yes, uh, where dreams are dreamed from the Olympics is one of them. It's done. Very cool. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I, I'll probably send it to Warner Brothers. Mm. We'll, we'll try that. You, know, you and Elliot have given so much, not just through music and the arts, but as you kind of mentioned before, the community at large. I mean, it was very important to you to give back wherever you lived. Mm -hmm. Concentrating, I guess, mostly on music and the arts, how did that experience, educating, mentorship, how did that impact your personal philanthropy and those values that you each possessed? Well, I can't say it did while we lived in Potsdam. Um, we were busy living our lives, bringing up our two daughters, and I went back to work in 1985 for the college, and I was um, part of the advancement division of the college. So I got to see how fundraising is done, meet some people who uh, did it for a living, and some of the donors who gave to the college. And I thought, well, that's kind of a nice thing to do. So I think that's where that started. But neither of us f was really impacted until we were helping people who had health problems in Cape Vincent. Uh, that was such a rewarding experience. And it didn't matter who they were or who we were. They needed our help. We were there to give it. And I got a, uh, a Christmas card from one man who thanked us. Um, it was fortunate in his case. And he wrote back to, to say a Christmas card that said, um, you and Elliot were, were the first two people in about 15 who made it possible for my wife and me to spend Christmas with our children in Texas. He had what's known as a triple A, uh, an aortic abdominal aneurysm. Say that fast three times. <laughs> and we beat feet between Cape Vincent and Watertown. And he was airlifted to strong memorial and uh, he survived. But he had a very small chance of survival. 
that gave me the warmest feeling, and Elliot just, you know, he glowed when he read that card. That was wonderful. You once told me that love inspires you to give. Oh, yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, it's at the heart of who we are, and I have discovered that particularly since Elliot died because now with our children on their own and as a widow, I get to determine what it is that I do and how I do it, with whom and when. That's quite an opportunity. And it's the way I choose to look at the situation that I am in. I got involved with the church because my family is in New England. I found a, a kind of, of uh, community family, not, not just gathering, but uh, we love each other as sisters and brothers in that community. Our new junior warden says, you're my sister by a different mother. <laughs> yeah, so we call each other sis. I really mean that. I, she's not my blood relative, but uh, other than that, uh, she is very much my sister, and I, tr I treasure that. We had a, a rector who, with whom many of us are still very, very good friends, and, and he uh, instilled in so many people in Clayton and Cape Vincent and in the North Country the, uh, the love that we should have for each other and how we can express that through doing things for each other and living the golden rule, really. Mm -hmm. So I, that's where it, it really began to hit home for me. And I found the ability to overcome some of the um, uh, difficulties of a, a new widow. And I recall one, I one instance, uh, I was going home from Clayton after a grief group meeting that he instituted with me and another uh, a parishioner from Clayton, who is now a dear friend of mine. And uh, the group would meet monthly, about 20, 24, 30 people, men, women, uh, all faiths, all economic strata. Um, and I was going home one night, beautiful night in October, and I turned on the radio uh, to listen to uh, uh, NPR, I guess it was, and I heard uh, Beethoven one of the symphonies, I don't remember which one, and flashed picture of Eliot standing on the podium as I had seen him so many times over the years in rehearsals and school auditoriums from here to wherever uh, across the country. And I reached for the radio to turn it off because it felt painful. And then I thought, no, Nancy, this is Beethoven. You never turn off Beethoven. <laughs> so I drew my hand back, and I looked at it from a different viewpoint. And I, I, I watched in my mind Eliot conducting a symphony orchestra in that particular piece. And instead of it being painful, suddenly it was a gift that he was giving to me. I sat up, and I noted that went home and texted the pastor and I said, this is what happened to me on my way home. And he said, 
I think you're really on to something. So that's where the word love comes in. Uh, it, it, I don't do what I do, small as it is, and I don't, I don't have the means to do all I would love to do. I'm not Bill Gates <laughs> or Warren Buffett. But what small things I can do give me great satisfaction because of what I see in the faces of people who enjoy or receive what it is that I do. And I think you would find that from anybody. The demographics, as you know, a little bit of the country are changing, changing quickly. And it's the same here locally as well. Mm -hmm. Things are changing fast. Future generations are going to give in a different fashion, in all likelihood, than your generation has and has done very well. How do we prepare that next generation for the importance of philanthropy in communities where they live? That question has been on my mind for some time. It's not an easy question to answer. It's not easy because of the culture that we're in at the moment, which many of us are, are, are not happy with. And it doesn't foster the um, uh, doing good that you'd like to see, not as much as it, it should. So it's a harder task. It's, a up, it's an uphill, uphill task. I think the best thing is by example. But most people who, who do give of their time and talent, and especially treasure, prefer to remain in the background. So young people don't necessarily hear from people that, that do that. I am. Uh, encouraged, however, because there are so many stories that are exceptions to that, and that's where I think we have to start. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote to General Electric the other day. I just couldn't help myself. They have an ad on television that I will not turn off. It is among the best I have ever seen. It's especially good for girls and women. But it's good for everybody. It applies to everyone. And it, is, it features Millie Dressel's house, who won the first National Science Award. She was a physicist. She died in February. Uh, but they must have had this one uh, in the can for a while. Mm -hmm. And the ad is just wonderful in terms of having each person sit up tall without saying anything at all. Say, this is who I am, and this is what I can do, and it's a good thing. You don't hear her say a word, but the message is as clear as a bell, particularly when she poses for a photograph for the front of a, a magazine called Inside. That look of confidence and of love, and of giving, and of making the, the world a better place is unmistakable. Talk about body language. So finally I said, you know, I've got to let them know that they really hit a home run with this one. So I wrote to them and they responded, and I was very pleased. When you reflect back, the Withington family, Del Borgos, 
you know, both of your families together have done so much for this community, North Country as a whole. How do you hope both of your families will be remembered long after mm -hmm. your generation is gone? Well, Elliot's former student and I were talking about that last night because there is a Facebook page for Elliot uh, for those who knew him to um, contribute. I have put a couple things up there. I need to put more up. And he can't understand why more people don't do that. Well, uh, he's an unusual fellow, Mitch is. <laughs> 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 Elliot was his guru. Elliot will be remembered. He has, well, he's still publishing. <laughs> he has, oh, over 700 published works now, at last count. And schools will be playing his music because of the quality of it, not because they remember him, but simply because it's good music, very playable, and goes over well with audiences. So he doesn't have anything to worry about being remembered. <laughs> and I don't, re I don't worry about re being remembered at all, frankly. I would just as soon do what I do and let the chips fall where they may. I don't need to make a statement. Uh, I don't want to leave my name on a building or anything like that. Even if I were able to do that, it wouldn't appeal to me. I have one family whose, whose name is on a school building, and that's enough, one family member. Being remembered is, uh, I just hope my family remembers me, those whom I love and know. I don't want to be flashy. I like being in the wings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little shy, maybe. You've worked pretty well in the wings, Nancy, I must say. <laughs> well, well you've, you've said to me before in, in previous conversations that if it came to you, you would hope that the message would possibly be that she tried, she tried. and she hoped. She tried and she hoped, yes. That's about all anybody can do is try and hope. You don't, well, uh, teachers are lucky in some ways, and so are medical people, because sometimes you do see the result of your work, sometimes, and it's very gratifying. Teachers less so, because you, you get the turnover, and they graduate, and they go on, and they live their lives, and they may be anywhere. But Elliot would hear from s former students, and some of them would come back to reunion and look him up. So that's very gratifying, and that's enough. Well, you've tried a great deal for this community, and well, it's been very well trying. received. <laughs> yes, you're not done yet either. Um, no, well, I hope not. No. Well, I'm glad we could have this conversation be able to share you and your family's story on the podcast, Nancy. Uh, again, our sincere thanks for coming on and for all that you've done for this community in the North Country. Thank you. My pleasure. As we wrap up, I want to thank our supporters of the podcast, WPBSDT and the Northern New York Community Foundation. Every interview is easily accessible and always free, whether it's online or on your mobile device. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or other podcast platforms when you search for the Northern New York Community Podcast. Check out our podcast website, which also features interview highlights, transcripts, photo galleries, and much more. Just go to www.nnycpodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in to our interview with Nancy Del Borgo. This has been the Northern New York Community Podcast.
Northern New York Community Podcast. Stories from the heart of our community.